Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, we're in week three of our series, uh, our REACH series, in which the theme of it is shine. We're talking about shining and about being light. And if you can remember, if you kind of go back a little bit here, a couple weeks, John Stumbo was with us and he talked about the fact that the light is shining all around the world. The, the light is shining and, uh, and the light is actually shining quite bright and it's sticking out more because of the darkness that is in our world. And if you've been watching the news and paying attention at all, you know that there, there's, a, there's a lot of turmoil in our world, but that's really an opportunity Rather than going for, to a place of fear, we can go to a place of seizing opportunities for our light to shine in our dark world. And John talked about that, that that backdrop of evil and darkness really makes that happen well. And he shared stories with us of how that's happening. Last weekend, Kelvin Walker was with us and talked about the idea that, that, that we, we, need, we need to be empowered to shine. That when we give our lives to Christ, we have the indwelling spirit, the deposit of the spirit has been given to us. We're sealed by the spirit, and, and yet we, we want to be a people that the, the spirit is not just in us, but upon us. And he talked to us from, uh, from the book of Acts and the book of Joel about how God poured out his spirit. Um, and this, by the way, it's not, this is not a new concept. It's actually from the very beginning of the, of, of the birth of our family. A guy named A.B. Simpson said this about, uh, about his, this, this new movement. He said, if the Lord Jesus did not presume to begin his public ministry or perform a single service as our teacher and example until he received the Holy Spirit, what right have we to go forth in our self-sufficiency and attempt to minister at the altar of Christian service until we have been endued with power from on high? Jesus gave his disciples, Jesus himself, remember he was baptized in water by his cousin John, and then he was baptized in the spirit. The dove came upon him, led by the spirit into the wilderness, comes out of the wilderness in power and preaches that first sermon. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And Kelvin talked to us about that, that we want to be a people who are living out the mission Christ has given to, given to us, but, but we want to tarry, we want to wait and be an empowered people as we do this. Now, Jesus in Acts chapter one, verse eight, reinforces this because he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, one of the things that I really appreciate about our larger Alliance family, there's 2,000 churches here in the US that are part of our family, six million believers worldwide, and what I love about the being part of a large family is that when it comes to a mission like this one and, and, and being witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth is that we don't have to pick and choose what part of that mission that we are going to obey. We actually get a part, we get to be a part of all of it. We're in our Jerusalem, we're in Salem, and we're being light here. We're going to talk about that this morning. And we're influencing this region, but we can also take part in being witnesses to the ends of the earth by supporting our international workers that are all around the world. There's over 700 of them. And now, here's how that happens. So we do make a lot of assumptions around this place, so let me just make sure you're clear on this. There is an offering envelope in the P-Rack in front of you. 
And it looks like this. And there's these four main categories. In fact, if you give online, you see these categories as well. But when it comes to ends of the earth kind of, uh, of work that God's doing, you can participate. The second line where it says the Great Commission Fund, if you give you know, a dollar to that, that actually goes to support people like Rob and Jess who were in Jordan for, for 12 years. Your giving to the Great Commission Fund fed them, clothed them, provided housing for them, allowed their kids to go to school, and allowed them to do ministry there in Jordan. Um, that, that, when you give to the Great Commission Fund, that goes to our, our international workers. So you can be a part of what God's doing in the ends of the earth. And I would love it if each and every one of us, at whatever level God allows, whether it's a dollar a month or $10 a month or $100 a month, whatever it be, that we would be investing in what God's doing around the world. It's, it's, it's really quite easy for us to do that. And that first line, the ministry fund, that, that, that fund actually helps us accomplish our vision of our, seeing our city become a city at peace with God. You could call it sort of the vision fund. That, that enables us to do ministries and partner with other churches and be involved in things like Salem Free Clinics or be involved in, uh, in ministries where we're helping the poor or, uh, or what, you know, children's ministry, youth ministry. It, this, this really advances us being light right here in Salem and Kaiser in this greater Willamette Valley region. So I just want you to know that that, that is a very practical way for you to engage in the whole mission that Christ has given to us. Now, as I wrap up the series, this REACH series on this weekend, what I want to do is, is we've talked about the, the, the stories of, of the light shining in the world, as last week we focused on being an empowered people who can shine. I want to talk to us about practically, how can we shine? Practically, how can we be light? You remember Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he looked at, to his disciples and said, now... You are the light of the world. So how can we practically be light wherever God has planted us? The workplace, the family, the neighborhood, how do we be light? And as I, as I talk about this, what I want to do is I want to just, I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 4 here in a, in a moment and uh, read about you know, four or five verses from Colossians chapter 4. And then what I want to do is I want to tell you three stories. Three stories that provide for us three practical ways that we can be light wherever God takes us. Three practical ways that we can be light wherever God has us you know, living or working or, again, whatever family we've been placed in. And so I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 4, beginning uh, reading in, in verse 3. And Paul says this, he's writing to a church in Colossae, uh, he's, he's actually in prison for uh, sharing Christ and for being a witness for Christ. He says, pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will put Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Three stories, three practical ways to be light. Story number one concerns a friend of mine named Terry. 
Terry is one of those guys that if you were to meet him, that, you know, when he walks in the room, there's a bit of a presence that comes with him. Tall guy, kind of stout, big guy. The kind of guy that when you go to shake his hand, your hand gets swallowed up in his. You know what I'm talking about? The kind of guy that when you're around him, it actually, being with him can feel a little bit intimidating. Well, the church that I was pastoring at the time in Kelso, Washington, we were having a missions conference, and we were kicking off this missions conference by having an international potluck. So we're all around these round tables, and we're having uh, food, and we're having a great time, and really this is just about connecting with one another, meeting some people who were at our missions conference. We had a missionary from France uh, named Ian. He was with us, and uh, so we introduced him, and we were just kind of all getting to know each other and, and kind of warming up for the weekend, on this, this focus on international missions. Terry and his wife are sitting at my table with Trina and I and, and, and another couple. And Terry has been coming to church for a couple weeks. I wouldn't say he's been coming super willingly. He's been coming because his wife has been bringing him. Maybe that's you today. Welcome. Uh, glad you're here. His wife has been bringing him, and he, we're sitting at this, this dinner table, and the, the evening is kind of wrapping up. Dishes are being taken back to the kitchen. People are going home. And Terry and I are having this conversation. I'm getting to know him a little bit. And, and then he pauses, and he asks me this question. He says, Steve, what's, what's this whole Jesus thing? Can you explain this this Jesus thing to me. That's how he put it. And as he's asking me this, this question, um, I'm kind of just processing, okay, so um, I, I know Terry's not a Christ follower. I know he's got, he, he grew up in a Catholic church, so it's, it's not like faith and those kind of things are foreign to him, but he, he has a, he's got a bit of a background and he's trying, to, he's trying to figure out who Jesus is and he poses it in this question. Can, can you explain this Jesus thing to me? So, I said, yeah, I, I would love to explain that to you, but uh, what, I would, what I'd prefer to do, if it's okay with you, I want to grab a piece of paper and a pen, and I, I'm a visual person, and I think it might help you if I kind of wrote out, drew a picture, and, and, and you could see it as well as hear it. Is that, is that okay? And he said, yeah, that's fine. And so I said, I'll be right back. Left the table, went out the door, and I entered into the children's wing, which was right there off the, off the fellowship hall in that church, and I popped in the first room, and it's like a kindergarten room or first grade room, and I'm scouring the room for paper, and there's no uh, paper, but there is some construction paper. So I find like this yellow piece of construction paper, and then I'm looking around for pens and pencils, and I can't find pens and pencils, but I do find crayons. And so I walk back out to meet with this imposing figure of a man, and I've got construction paper, and I've got crayons, and I sit down next to them, and I said, I know, this looks a little funny, but stick with me, um, and we're going to go somewhere here. And I, I began to draw the picture. Now, on the screen, you're going to see uh, the picture that I was drawing for him. Um, it's going to look, look, look a little bit nicer than what I drew. But I told Terry that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created humanity. He created men and women, created Adam and Eve in the image of God. Both made in the image of God. And they had the perfect relationship with God. Not only did they live in a perfect environment, and not only did they have the perfect job, but they had a perfect relationship with Almighty God. But as that relationship progressed, what ended up, what ended up happening, which some of you experienced in some of your relationships, that this, this, there was this betrayal that took place. 
There was a betrayal and it drove a wedge in the relationship. Adam and Eve, they, they also betrayed God. God gave them you know, freedom in the Garden of Eden but said, just don't, don't eat from this one tree and they did. And that, that actually drove, not only drove a wedge in the relationship and distanced humanity from God, it also brought with it consequences which is, we understand this very well. In, in our friendships, in our relationships that when there's significant betrayal, that, that there's consequences, there's ramifications for that betrayal and that disloyalty. And same with God, and, and the consequences, the Bible tells us that we've all sinned, we're all sinful people, we're all broken people, but, and we're all subject to the consequences of sin, which is death, physical death, spiritual death, we're experiencing death in so many different dimensions. And, and it's distanced us from God. I told Terry as I'm drawing this out in this yellow piece of construction paper with crayons that I, here's the deal. I think that most people kind of feel this gap between where they are and where God is. And not only do we feel it, we're, we're trying to sort of just kind of bridge that gap on our own. We, we do good things, you know. We, we go to the grocery store and we see an elderly person trying to carry some their bags of groceries out. So we, we help them and we want to be good. We want to do more good things than bad things in our life. So we do good things. Or we, uh, there's charitable things that maybe there's a, uh, a terrible earthquake and we want to give money to the Red Cross. We want to give money to relief agencies so that uh, people can have clean water and food and be cared for. And, and even, we'll even do religious stuff. We'll go, to, we'll go to mass or we'll go to church and we'll, we'll try and do something that, that we, we think might please God. Now the problem with all these things, there's this prophet named Isaiah and he's writing about our good works, our righteousness, and he says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Meaning it doesn't have what it takes to, to bridge that gap. Actually what it does is it all falls short and it, it, it doesn't do the job. It doesn't, it doesn't deal with our root issue of being sinful and broken people. It's just all basically a cover up. Now, here's the thing you need to know about God. And by the way, some of you, th that gap is still there for you. And as I talk through the, you know, being good and charitable and religious, um, and, and maybe that's where you're at, and, and I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. Um, I'm so glad you're here because as I continue walking through this picture, I think some lights are gonna come on for you. Because here, here's what God did. God knew that gap was there. He knew that we couldn't bridge that gap on our own. And so what he did is he sent his son Jesus and Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live. He lived a sinless life, which means he was not subject to the consequences of sin. Yet, he willingly laid down his life and went to a cross and did experience death. And the reason he did it is so that every single person's sin penalty could be paid. Jesus goes to the cross. That consequence for those who put their faith in Christ, that consequence of that sin penalty, that sin debt is paid for them and salvation is available to them. Now I'm talking to Terry about this. And I, and I ask him, okay, now Terry, if you look at that little stick figure and you look at God, and you, if you were to put an X on the line, where would you, where would you put it? Where, where are you with this? I mean, are you way over here on this, this left-hand side saying, Steve, shut up, leave me alone, I'm tired of talking about this? Or maybe are you a little bit closer and maybe you're thinking and contemplating about crossing over because maybe this is the first time it's made sense to you. Where are you? And I gave him a crayon and said, okay, I want you to put an, put an X where, where you're at. 
And he kind of put it right where that X is there on the screen. And so then I asked him, I said, Terry, is there any reason why tonight you wouldn't want to cross over and experience this new life in Christ that he's made possible? Is there any reason why you wouldn't want to cross over and, and have that guilt lifted from your shoulders? And he said, no, actually, this is what I've been looking for. And we're at that dinner table, and uh, I lead him in a prayer where he admits his need for God because he knows he's sinful. He, he, he places his trust in Christ. He believes that God has sent his son, and he puts his faith in Christ for forgiveness of sins, and he pledges to follow Christ by, by his spirit's power for the rest of his life. And by the way, Terry did that, and not only did he do that, he's still walking with Christ. Um, and he crossed over. We walked upstairs to our sanctuary, and there we had a, a cross like this one, and he pounded a white ribbon in that cross, and this big, large, imposing figure with a single tear coming down his cheek looked at me and then walked over and gave me this massive bear hug, and my feet were barely left on the ground as he's, he's hugging me. And, and um, he tasted new life in Christ. And several of us cheered him on and clapped like we often do here. Um, and here's the cool thing. Terry takes that yellow construction paper, he takes it home, and his wife tells Trina a little bit later that he has attached it to his refrigerator. And for, for, for a long period, like almost a month, he's, he's left it on his fridge so that he can go and look at it and remember what, what just happened for him in his life. Now, here's the reason I tell you that story. Paul in Colossians chapter four is saying, pray for opportunities, and then when, we, when we're being light, those opportunities come. We need to understand that being light, I'll just put it up right in the screen, being light means being prepared to articulate the gospel simply and clearly. Being, being light means that, that if and when a Terry comes to you, if and when a Terry presents a question to you like, hey, explain this whole Jesus thing to me, that we need to be a people who are prepared that, that we, could, we could actually articulate the good news of the gospel with simplicity and clarity. That we could be a prepared people. I mean, Terry, his question was kind of like a this slow pitch softball or a ball that gets teed up. It's one of those moments that's it's amazing that comes our way. But in order for us to be able to seize that opportunity that we've been praying for, we need to be prepared to answer the questions that the Terry's in our life will ask. And so what, what question that we do need to ask ourselves is, am I prepared? Could I articulate the good news of the gospel in such a way that it would make sense, as God allows, to someone who's asking that question? Because being light means being prepared to articulate the gospel simply and clearly to the Terry's in our life. That's, that's story number one. And one practical way that we can be light is just being a prepared people. Here's story number two. This story is about Phil. Phil was my boss at Lure Jensen, which was a, a, a family-run fishing tackle manufacturing company in Hood River, Oregon. I worked there as, uh, as, a, as an operations manager. Phil was my boss. Phil's dad started the company. He was the president. Phil was the president of the company. And I was working for him. And in those six years that I worked at Lord Jensen and worked for Phil, uh, through those six years, I just experienced this call into pastoral ministry to the extent that as we got to the end of those six years, Trina and I went to this church up in Kelso. We candidated. And shortly thereafter, they invited us to come and, and pastor that church, which meant 
I needed to go meet with Phil and tell him that I, that I was going to resign because I was going to become a pastor. So I arranged an appointment. I sit in Phil's office and, um, and, and I'm having this conversation and I tell Phil that I'm, I'm giving my two weeks notice. I got, I got a role and I'm going to be a pastor up in Washington. And Phil's an interesting guy. And he says to me, he goes, oh man, man, I, I, I don't know why you go to Washington to do that. You can do that right here. I mean, why don't you plant a church and do it, do it in, the, in the lunchroom here at work? And man, I, I might even come to that church if, if you did that here. And, and as kind of creative and intriguing as that sounded, I knew that wasn't what uh, I was supposed to do. And so I said, yeah, I appreciate that, but I, I'm, I'm gonna be you know, moving to Washington and doing that. And he said some kind things. Um, and then uh, two weeks later, we got this farewell thing happening at work in the office. People that I've worked with have gathered around, we're eating cake, and everyone's saying their goodbyes. And, and Phil shows up a little bit late, and he shows up, and he, and he uh, again, he's, he's, he's an interesting personality. He kind of walks in, he says, okay, everyone gather, gather around, gather around. We're gonna, I got a few things I want to say about, say, say about Steve before he goes. So people gather around, and, uh, and they're waiting for what Phil's going to say. And Phil starts out by saying this. He goes, okay, so here's the deal. We all know that Steve has been working for somebody who, ha- who thinks they're God, but now he's going to actually go work for God. <laughs> and, uh, and everyone kind of looks around like, is it okay to laugh at that? Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's what's going on around here. And, uh, uh, and then he says, but, but here's, here's the thing. Here's, here's what I love about Steve. And we all know he goes to church, and we all know, you know, that, that, you know, that he's, he's a Christian, but here's the thing I love about Steve. He worked here, but he, he didn't go around telling people about Jesus. He didn't go around here evangelizing. Um, he, he, he just didn't go around, you know, you know telling everybody about, about Jesus. And as he said that, I had this weight come over me. And I walked out to my truck on that last day, and I'm sitting in my truck, and I'm starting to head home, and this heaviness just settles over me. And then the mean voice starts speaking. The condemning, you know what I'm talking about? That sometimes we don't need, sometimes we, we, don't, we never need anyone to condemn us, but oftentimes we're, we're our worst enemies when it comes to condemning ourselves. Well, that's what I was doing. It was kicking in full force. And the voice went something like this. Who do you think you are? You're going to go and be a pastor in a church. And here you were working in this company for six years and you never talked about Jesus to Phil. Who do you think you are that you're going to go to this church and you're going to tell people about Jesus there? And this flashing neon light of failure was just blinding my eyes. And this heaviness just came over me. And, um, and, and then I heard another voice. And it reminded me of a story that I'll just read a snippet of it here from John 4. That, that yes, sometimes we do have those opportunities to talk about Jesus. But oftentimes, being light, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to, to be there to lead someone to Christ. It's wonderful to have the Terry moments where someone comes up to you and says, can you tell me about the Jesus thing? And you, and you share Christ and they give a life to Christ. But being light with the fills in our life means understand that planting is as vital or is as important as harvesting. That sowing is as important as reaping. And, and the heaviness was lifted off me because I... 
I think I would have responded to a nudge from God to share with Phil, but I, I, in all my memory, I could never think that one of those moments came to me. And, and yes, the, 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 I was prepared for the Terry conversation, but with Phil, that never happened. Yet in all the time that I was with him, I was able to, I think I was able to be light. He knew I was a Christ follower. He knew I went to church. And I was hoping my life matched up in such a way that it it looked like Jesus and it had an impact on him. Now, John chapter four, uh, we'll we'll put these verses on the screen. Jesus has been having a conversation with a, a Samaritan woman. Now he's talking to his disciples. And he says this, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. What I love what Jesus is saying here is that there are people who have planted, there are people who are sowed, who have sowed, and then there are people who reap and those who harvest, and both are critical. And when you think about this, what the call of God is on our life is, yes, the, the doors will open for you and I to speak the good news. We need to be prepared for the tarries in our life. But a lot, the key to those doors being opened is actually us being good news. Have you thought about that? That we're actually not just called to speak the good news, but be good news? Are we good news? Are you good news in your workplace? Are you good news in your neighborhood? Are you good news in your family? My six years of working there at Lord Jensen, I, I hope I was good news. I think I was good news. And, and Phil, I was just one little season in Phil's story. And by the way, about two years after I left, Phil's son, Roger, came to Christ. And Roger led his dad, Phil, to Christ. And he actually started going to the church that I went to for a while. And... And I wonder, maybe this is all part of God's wisdom so his son would be there to be able to walk with him through his new life of faith in Christ. Being light, it, it does mean, with the Terry's in our world, it means being prepared to articulate the gospel simply and clearly. But being light also is understanding that, that sowing or, or planting is as vital and important as reaping and harvesting. So we can, we can silence the condemning voice. We can, we, can, we can turn off the flashing neon light of failure as we are being light, waiting for those nudges from God, which actually leads me to my third and last story. And this story is about a guy named Rick. I met Rick. Uh, he... he, he he came to our church. I remember the, the moment he came to church because I was standing in the entryway and he walked in with his wife, Jan, and Jan was all happy and bubbly and she was glad to be there. They just moved uh, to town and Rick, he, his countenance said it all. He was not happy to be there in church that day. He had a look of fear on his face. His wife had drugged him to church and he was there. He accepted a job in town at a, a local newspaper and he was the sports editor. 
So they're in the foyer, and we're making small talk, and, and they sit down in church, and, um, and then I, they come back the second week, and I, I, I say hi to them again, and we actually connect for coffee, and he loves to play golf, so I played golf with him and got to know him a little bit, and, and Rick and Jan just kept coming back to church each and every week, and I, he, our church at the time had these two, two sections of seating, and on this left-hand side, about five rows back, Rick would always sit on the far right-hand side. And Jan was next to him. And every time I would get up to talk, every time I get up to preach, about five minutes into the sermon, it was like his eyelids were made of lead. He couldn't hold them up anymore. They just dropped. And I'd watch him just kind of sleep through the entire service. Y- yes, I see you. Okay? <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay. Because like you, Rick was working a ton of hours and he was, it's a new job. And, um, but he just kept coming back and he just, and community was beginning to build. He was plugging into groups and he didn't know, he didn't know much about Jesus. Um, but his wife, his wife was, was, you know, following Jesus, giving her life to Christ years ago. Uh, and, but he kept coming back and he was making friends. And, and then Super Bowl came around. Back a year and a half, about a, yeah, about a year uh, when, he, when he first came, a Super Bowl came up. And I don't even remember who was playing, but Rick threw a party. He invited like 30 people from church to come to his house for a Super Bowl party. Um, and so we, we all show up at his house and he, and as we're walking in, he's got this sort of this clipboard and there's different things that, that you know, are going to happen in the game, like, you know, the field goals and interceptions and the first funny commercial. And you're supposed to choose one of those categories. And when that first interception happens or when that first field goal is kicked or that first funny commercial takes place, you could walk up to this table and it was full of prizes, full of gifts. They were all individually wrapped and Rick had gone out and spent all this money on prizes. And, um, and so when that first field goal was kicked, you know, somebody would walk up and they grab one. And we'd all watch as they opened it up and we'd cheer whatever, they, you know, whatever they got. And sometimes it was funny and sometimes it was great. And, um, and that happened all night long. It was a fantastic time. And again, I don't remember anything about the game. But uh, people were leaving at the end of the night. And, and, it, and Trina and I stuck around uh, along with another couple named Tom and Ann. And we helped Rick and Jan clean up their house. And it was around 10.45-ish at night when we got done cleaning and we sat in their living room and we were all exhausted and we were just kind of enjoying, kind of reminiscing the night and all that happened and we were laughing. And then Spirit of God gave me a nudge. Tell Rick about Jesus. And I was like, really, God? It's (laughs) 10.45 and... Technically, like an hour and 15 minutes is my day off, and now, yeah, now. All right, all right. So Rick's sitting there and said, hey, Rick, can I ask you a question? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, shoot, whatever. Have you ever wondered why, you know, we talk about Jesus all the time, and, you know, we go to church every weekend, and I get up there, and I teach in the Bible, and we sing songs about Jesus? You ever wondered about any of that, and he's like, ah, yeah, sometimes. So I hemmed and hawed and said, ah, would you want to know more about Jesus? Could I explain something to you? It won't take too long, and he's like, yeah, sure, that'd be, that'd be great. I said, do you got a piece of paper and a pen? Um, <laughs> and I sat there in Rick's living room because he brought paper and pen, and I drew that same picture out. There's something about seeing something visually. I drew the picture out, 
said, okay, so here's the deal, you know, God and man and the gap, and he's nodding his head. I give him the pencil, where are you at? And he's got it, you know, that, that chasm, he's got himself kind of in the middle. And I, I say to him, um, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to just complete it and go all the way over? And he goes, no, I, I think I really would want to do that. And so that night, it's like 11 something at night after the Super Bowl, I lead Rick in a prayer and his wife is bawling and Rick is crying and Rick gives his life to Christ. And what was interesting about that whole thing is that the moment I met Rick, he's this likable, compassionate, kind guy. A kind of guy that, if you read about it in the Bible, it talks about these, these people of peace. He was a person of peace. A person of peace is someone who is, he's willing to hang out with, with as a non-Christian, he's willing to hang out with people who are Christian. A person of peace is someone who's willing to engage in conversations of faith. There certainly are people who are very antagonistic to conversations about faith, but people of peace, they're willing to engage in that. And here we are, I mean, Rick has invited, like, at that time, 40% of the church over to his house for a party. And he's willing to have a conversation of faith. The Bible would call this person a person of peace. And being light, being light is, yeah, noticing the Terry's, noticing the Phil's, but the Rick's, because being light is noticing the people of peace around you. Uh, Jesus is sending out his disciples in Luke chapter 10, and he says th these words. He says, go, for I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. And whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. And what Jesus is saying, he's sending out his disciples. And, he's, and you're looking for people of peace, for a man of peace or a woman of peace. And that was Rick. And being light is paying attention to the people of peace that God has placed in our lives. And to the point where maybe the Spirit's going to nudge you and you can articulate the good news of the gospel to them. And I, I, let me tell you something. I have not obeyed every nudge the Spirit has given me. I just haven't. I just, some of them I, I have been too tired. I just like, oh man, that, that's crazy. God. I, can't, I can't do that. But I'm so grateful that I follow through on this nudge. Because two years ago, I went to Rick's funeral. It's a young guy, and cancer just ravaged his body. The good news is he isn't just my friend, he's my forever friend. And we will pick up friendship right where we left off because we're gonna be together forever in heaven and community will be experienced as it's never been experienced here on earth. And being light is just noticing those people of peace that God has placed in your life. Now think about it for a moment. Who has God put in your life that's willing to have conversations about spirituality? Who's God put in your life that doesn't mind hanging around Christians. That, that could be a person of peace. Being light is, is being prepared for the Terry's. Being light is being good news for the Phil's. Being light is noticing the Rick's in our lives and obeying the nudges the Spirit would give to us. In fact, I would love us if we'd respond. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's just, as you think about those three practical ways, could you just engage in a, in a conversation with Jesus that could begin something like this, just, Jesus, what are you saying to me? Jesus, 
What's the one thing you want me to walk out of here with today, Lord? It may have nothing to do with the talk. It may be about a song that was sung that sparked something in you. Now, Lord, as we wrap up this series, we don't want to be just hearers of the word only. We do want to be responders, doers. So, continue to empower us by your spirit to be light. We pray this in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.